This episode's reading carries content warnings for mentions of guns, swords, and a brief mention of nuclear war. The reading is just over 19 minutes long. stories that didn't make it. I'm Hillary B. Bisnets. Listeners, I'm extremely excited today to welcome an author who has been making something of a splash on the short fiction scene recently, Amanda Cook. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Hillary. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've been friends for, for I don't know, a while. Time is fake. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. And I was really excited when you reached out to be like, hey, can I can I come on the show? I've got some stories coming out. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, it, as fun as it is to have like big names and award winners and everything on here, like the purpose of this show is like highlight new work and, you know, new voices. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I really appreciate that when you said, sure, come on, because I think at the time that I reached out to you, I think maybe I only had two stories out at that time, maybe two or three at I the most. I think that sounds right. And um, yeah, and I'll talk later about where I'm at now. So yeah. yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, it's more than three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at this point, it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to be reading Snow Day. Is there anything we need to know before we get into the reading? Yeah, I think I should probably uh, mention that there are some mentions of imaginary guns. Okay. It, nothing happens but imaginary guns and a sword um, and a mention, a brief mention of nuclear war. But again, it's just a mention. So if that's a trigger for anybody, just to let them know. Fantastic. Um, uh, and... and I will put a... Uh, content warning at the beginning of the show to let everybody know if they want right. to nope out on the story how to get around that right but mostly um it's silly so uh and Fantastic. it goes from a future present to flashbacks so i'll be going back and forth all right and hopefully you'll be able to pick up on that as i'm reading yeah well ready when you are snow day Snow blanketed the planet, bringing with it the scent of crackling atmosphere, the kind that numbs limbs and makes glittering fractals of portals. Mm. Bewildered by the phenomenon, the ship's observation crew bundled themselves in garments thick enough to withstand the cold. Synthetic overcoats and silicon boots, they were called, copied from the hollow recalls in the ship's database. The crew shuffled out onto the strange terrain, watched as their lower limbs left pits behind them, their exhalations visible seconds before dissipating. After a short trek through what their memo pad had analyzed as frozen crystals of dihydrogen oxide molecules, <laughs> they turned to their leader for further instruction. Kilry scanned the muffled atmosphere, pulling the psychic residue of the last sentient species to inhabit this planet into the memo pad. Hollow recalls shimmered in the wake of the scanner half-formed translucent shapes resembling what the ship's database had named younglings. 
Kilree switched on the sound wave extractor, and several voices, high-pitched and tonally pleasing, broke the dampened silence. The observation crew gathered around the memo pad to observe and document the hollow recalls of the recently departed. Hmm. Captain's log, one, two, three, four, five point six seven. We left the wreckage of our shuttle behind and stumbled across the frozen tundra toward what we hoped would be shelter. With a blank landscape against a blank sky, it was difficult to determine whether the mound on the horizon was just another snow dune or an actual hill. Our scanner's analyses had come back inconclusive. The planet was too foreign even for the mothership's computers. After a hike of less than a day, we spotted a gray depression in the side of the hill. A cave! We were saved! A good thing, too. Our insulated suits would hold off the cold for only so long. My teeth chattered inside my helmet as we entered the mouth of the cave. Our laser guns were armed and ready for the possibility of an attack from anything. Go on, Rusty, I shouted at my pilot through my helmet mic. Get inside. It's cold out here. Don't push me. Rusty's voice crackled and hissed in my earpiece. The weak sun set in the west, plunging everything in darkness. The white expanse outside the cave shifted into a periwinkle blue reflecting the night sky. Hmm. Hey, Rusty said as I crept in behind him. Watch your head. You about caved it in. I ducked under the low entrance and crawled on hands and knees into the cave's single empty room. There was barely enough space for the two of us. We rested our guns on our drawn up knees, pointing them toward the entrance. If some sort of creature had dug out this hole, it was going to return to a nasty surprise. <laughs> What do you want to do now? Rusty asked after an eternity of silence. The enemy may have seen our shuttle detached from the mothership and sent drones down after us. We wait here until we know it's safe to leave. I kept an eye on my scanner, hoping against hope that our last ship, the one we had dropped from hours earlier, would drift within range soon. Hoping against hope it had survived the latest battle with our enemy, those who had chased us across the galaxy until we had nowhere else to run. I prayed to whatever gods had created this desolate planet that we weren't the last humans left in the universe. It's too cold to wait in here. I'm going to go do something else, Rusty announced. No, wait. They might see you if you leave. I tried to stop him, but he shook me off. He crawled back out into the planet's twilight and walked away, leaving me to whatever fate had in store for the last of us. He was the bravest pilot I have ever known. Hmm. Concerned by the youngling's apathy in leaving his comrade behind to fend for himself, his, himself, the crew made a note to query the ship's database. Kilry followed the hollow recall of the one called Rusty to a location indiscernible from the rest of the terrain. Once there, Rusty joined a group of other younglings already involved in their own saga. Kilry and crew observed the fascinating tableau in reverent silence, as though the hollow recalls were skittish creatures frightened by the slightest distraction. Hmm. Once upon a time, at a far-off land, there lived an armored knight named Serpent Slayer. An old king there had a fair daughter. He kept her locked in a tower, never to marry until one of his subjects proved themselves worthy by slaying the dragon, terrorizing his kingdom. Hey, I'm not waiting for some knight to come marry me. Who decided that? <laughs> one day, Serpent Slayer appeared on the road into the kingdom. The villagers stopped to watch him on his fine black steed, his manner stately, his armor polished steel, his sword broad. They stepped off the road as he passed and bowed to him, hoping he would be the one who would save them from the terror in the mountains. <laughs> Many had come before him, but none had succeeded. The king's guards stopped Serpent Slayer at the castle gates. Who are you? Rusty asked. 
They call me Serpent Slayer. I've slayed many great beasts in my time, and I will do it again to save this kingdom. Hmm. Serpent Slayer dismounted and raised his sword above his head to show off its keen edge. Rusty cocked his head at the stranger. Are you sure you want to try? <laughs> do you not have a fair maiden who would be worthy of my hand once I have finished the deed? The king's the one who decides that, but if you want to come in and talk to him yourself... Rusty led the way down a cold marble hallway to the even colder throne room. The king sat on his white marble throne, waiting for the one he had heard of from the gossip spreading through the village. Who are you? Cameron asked, staring down the stranger. I am he who will destroy the dragon for you, your highness. I have come from afar, for I heard there was a great serpent terrorizing your kingdom. They call me Serpent Slayer and Dragon Destroyer. I will find the dragon in the mountains and I will slay him. And when I am done, I will marry your fair daughter, the Princess Alice. Yeah, I don't think so, said <laughs> Alice from her window in the tower. Serpent Destroyer, or whatever your name is, Cameron said loftily, go kill the dragon. And when you have come back, you can marry her. It shall be done, your highness. Serpent Slayer lifted his sword high in a gesture of loyalty to the king. Alice rolled her eyes and said she was going to kill the dragon herself. <laughs> Apparently, not hearing her, Serpent Slayer rode out on his black steed up into the mountains beyond the village. Kilry noted the differences between the two sagas, one in which a youngling bemoaned the loss of his ship and his crew, Kilry sympathized, <laughs> and another in which a youngling split from his group to embark on some grand adventure. As the one named Serpent Slayer tromped through the snow toward another nearby hill, the youngling called Alice slipped off the clump of snow she had been standing on. Hmm. She yanked the long, thin object from Serpent Slayer's hand, what the memo pad called a stick, much to the knight's consternation, and trotted over to the good captain curled up in his cave. <laughs> Captain's log, 8.91011.12. The drones left. My trusty pilot never returned. I feared the worst. Hmm. Ravenous, I crawled outside to search for whatever might qualify as food on this ice ball of a planet. Digging through the snow with nothing but my gloved hands, I uncovered a sheet of ice as thick and solid as plexiglass. I knelt and pressed my nose to the ice. The distorted shapes of alien creatures moved languidly in the black water below, or what passes for water here. Hmm. If I could shatter the barrier, I could catch my dinner, if my scanner was correct that these creatures were safe to consume. I stomped on the ice with my boot, but I barely made a dent. Hey, whatcha doing? I jumped and nearly fell in the drifts left from my digging. My main engineer, Alice, had appeared out of nowhere. Her white jumpsuit was practically invisible against the howling blizzard. She stood in the snow like the ghost of a crew member believed to be long dead. In fact, I had thought she died when the shuttle crashed. I almost embraced her. I was so happy to see another human again. Hmm. I'm trying to catch an alien creature for my dinner, I said when I found my voice again. She leaned over and peered into the black depths beneath the ice. I think I see a person in there. A what? I squinted hard at the ice. You know, a person. They have a tail like a fish, but it's attached to the body of a human. They're gorgeous with long flowing hair, and they have friends who are seahorses. Hmm. Yep, they're definitely a person. I straightened perplexed. Really? But that's impossible. How could a person find their way to this lonely planet on the outer edge of the galaxy? Alice shrugged. Do you think the person will help us find food? <laughs> Maybe. Here, use this to crack the ice. 
I stared at the long, sharp implement she handed me. It was thin and shiny with a leather-wrapped hilt on the non-stabby end. <laughs> what is it? It's the sword the knight was carrying. He calls himself Serpent Slayer or something. He doesn't need it right now. He's still riding through the mountains to the Dragon Slayer. I asked him if I could use it for a while. I lifted the sword and with a primal scream brought it down onto the ice, shattering the thin skim of frozen water as though it were cut crystal. Ice and water drops flew in all directions, freezing as soon as they hit the frigid air. I had only managed to create a pinprick of a hole, so I stabbed again and again until there was nothing remaining but a rippling puddle. <laughs> Alice leaned over again. Hello, merperson. The alien creature emerged from the puddle up to their waist. Their platinum hair and rainbow-scaled body were iridescent against the glowing snow. They quirked their humanoid lips in what could have passed for a smile. To me, with the gills along their neck, it was more like a grimace. <laughs> they opened their mouth and emitted a series of clicks and whistles like what a porpoise might sing to its podmates. Alice nodded her head, somehow understanding the creature's language without needing a scanner. <laughs> I had forgotten how resourceful my main engineer could be. They said they can get us some fish, and we don't need a fire to cook it. It's like sushi. <laughs> Thank you, person. Alice waved at the creature, and with a bob of their head, they disappeared below the ice. Someone shouted from the other side of the hill. Oops, the knight needs his sword back. Alice grabbed the sword from my hands and vanished into the blizzard, still blasting its way across the frozen landscape. Disappointed and hungry, I crawled back into my meager shelter to await the merperson's return with dinner. Hmm. Kilry and crew drifted back and forth between the youngling's hollow recalls. Their sagas bewildered the observers. What was a merperson? Why could Alice and the good captain visualize it, but Kilry and crew could not? Mm -hmm. And where was the hollow recall of the good captain's wreckage? The observation crew had scanned the entire planet before deorbiting and found it vacant of all life, including any fauna who could live within a puddle. Alice's hollow recall converged with serpent slayers to trudge up a mountain, the elevated terrain invisible to Kilry and crew. Intrigued, Kilry followed with the memo pad. Serpent Slayer's mighty steed braved the snowy passes of the mountain range, climbing to the lair of the dragon that had tormented the king's village. As the knight rounded the peak of the steepest mountain, he saw the entrance to the lair ahead. He did not desire his horse to become the beast's dinner, so he dismounted and slogged through the knee-deep snow the rest of the way. He found a torch lying on the damp floor inside the entrance, left behind by the dragon's last victim, no doubt. <laughs> Lighting it with a flint and steel, he searched the entrance to the tunnel. His right hand went confidently to his scabbard. It came up empty. Where is my sword? He shouted over the roar of the wind. I cannot slay the serpent without my sword. Here it is. Princess Alice appeared puffing up the mountainside as though he, she had just run the distance from the castle. Her long white skirts dragged through the snow, making it difficult for Serpent Slayer to distinguish her from the mountainside. I had to help the captain crack some ice, she said. She handed the knight his sword and smiled at him expectantly. So, you gonna go kill the dragon? <laughs> Serpent Slayer scoffed. But of course, why else would I have trekked all this way through the ice and snow and wind? Cool, I'm coming with you. The knight put up a hand to stop her. But you can't. The dragon might eat you alive. And besides, you're supposed to be locked away in the king's tower waiting for me to return. <laughs> Princess Alice folded her arms. I didn't say I would do any of that. And I'm not scared. I want to go after the dragon. The knight looked the princess up and down and heaved a great sigh. 
as you wish. But I warn you, if you get eaten, it won't be my fault. <laughs> Princess Alice followed Serpent Slayer into the heart of the mountain. The tunnel ceiling was very low, and they had to crawl on their hands and knees, the cold of the wet floor seeping into their bones the longer they crept. Serpent Slayer could hear the princess's teeth chattering behind him and pleaded with her to turn back, but she would not listen. After ages of crawling, the tunnel opened out into a large dim cavern. The only light and warmth in the room radiated off the nostrils of the foul beast coiled atop its hoard. Hmm. The dragon's emerald eyes opened and peered down at the knight and the princess. Who dares to enter my domain, it growled, smoke rising from its crocodile jaws. It is I, Serpent Slayer. I have come to vanquish you, foul beast, and put an end to your reign of terror. <laughs> the dragon threw back its head and laughed. Gold coins tumbled from the top of its hoard, clinking to the floor. You? Come to vanquish me? That is a laugh. Try your best, puny knight. You will find that I am not so easily killed. The knight rushed up the pile of gold toward the dragon, his sword drawn. As he neared the top, he noticed Princess Alice had climbed up ahead of him. <laughs> she sat next to the fierce dragon's talons, which were almost as big as she was. He stopped, dumbfounded. The dragon, still spewing smoke, had lowered its head to be level with Alice's. But the princess did not seem to be in any danger. In fact, Serpent Slayer heard her invite the dragon to tea? <laughs> Fair princess, he cried, you must come down. What if the dragon eats you, or you get crushed by its body when I slay it? I told you I'm not scared, and besides, you can't kill the dragon. Serpent Slayer lowered his sword, completely puzzled. <laughs> what? What do you mean? I looked on the other side of the dragon's nest when I got up here, and I saw some eggs. She's a mother dragon, so you can't kill her. She needs to take care of her babies. The knight gawked at the princess as if he had been turned to stone. But, but how am I to rid the kingdom of this vile beast? It will fly from the mountains and terrorize the kingdom again. No, she won't. Won't you, dragon? The dragon snorted smoke and smiled, revealing glistening teeth the length of a man's forearm. <laughs> I will not, she said, bowing her head to the princess, if the knight agrees not to harm my clutch. Serpent Slayer continued to gape at the pair seated on the top of the horde. They spoke as if they were old friends. He lifted his sword again, anger rising. How do I know you will keep your word, dragon? Dragons never lie, Princess Alice said. <laughs> if she says she won't hurt the village, then she won't hurt the village, as long as you don't hurt her babies. The fair princess slid down the pile of gold, landing lightly on the cavern floor, and dusted her hands on her skirts. This has been fun and all, but I think I'm going to see what the captain's up to. <laughs> and with that, she crawled out of the tunnel, leaving the night alone with the still grinning dragon. Kilry double-checked the MemoPads recorder, making certain every psychic transmission was being logged and uploaded to the ship's database. It would be unfortunate if they lost a single moment of the epics the younglings improvised with such joyful abandon, which was a stark contrast to their bleak surroundings. These Terrans were not playing at war or nuclear fallout when they lived. No, they had been happy, free, and several other words the ship offered as explanation for the Younglings' bright optic orbs and the upturned edges of their frontal orifices. Alice returned to the good captain, and Killery and crew watched them with bated, steaming exhalations. They wondered if the good captain would finally receive sustenance and hoped for his eventual rescue. Captain's Log 3.456789.10. <laughs> I waited in the cave for a day and a half. 
The merperson refused to answer when I called, and my faithful engineers seemed to be gone for good. I feared I would starve in this frozen wasteland. Hey! I jumped in the confines of my hole. Alice again, like a meerkat popping up from the ground to keep an eye out for enemies. Alice, where have you been? She crawled in to sit next to me and pulled her knees up to her chin. Oh, I went to help the knight, but he really didn't need to be rescued. The dragon <laughs> turned out to be nice. I had no idea what my engineer was talking about and wondered if the sheer vastness of our location had driven her to delirium. Have you brought us something to eat? I hoped her walkabout had been profitable. No, she said and frowned. Didn't the merperson help you? The merperson didn't come back and the puddle is frozen again. Huh. Alice squinted at where we had cracked open the ice. Well, I can't get the sword back from the knight. He might need it if he decides to go looking for other dragons. Because he's definitely not marrying me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what do we do? If we don't eat soon, we'll starve here. Our species will go extinct if we die. Alice pulled out her scanner and glanced at the digital clock on its screen. It's lunchtime. Want to come over to my house? My mom's making macaroni and cheese. I glanced out at the white tundra surrounding us. My thoughts turned to home, lost somewhere in the depths of the galaxy, to a mug full of hot chocolatey goodness and a bowl full of steaming pasta. Sure, we can finish playing later, I guess. We left the snow-covered hill and our still-smoking shuttle behind in search of a warm fire and Alice's mom's mac and cheese. The hollow recalls dispersed, their sagas ending with little to no resolution and agreements to return at a later time. Killary switched off the memo pad and shivered inside the sodden overcoat and sloshing boots. The rest of the crew buzzed thoughts and notes to each other as they slogged their way back to the ship. Hmm. As they sealed the airlock and wound through labyrinthine corridors to personal quarters or the ship's control center, Killary straggled behind, perplexed by a single data point. What was macaroni and cheese? And what power had it held over such a fascinating people? The end. That was delightful. <laughs> Thank you. And very you. on brand. Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it's I. One of the things I really like about this show is just like getting to have such uh, diverse voices and diverse uh, sets of of uh, like storytelling sensibilities and perspectives uh, uh -huh. and sometimes just having like extreme dissonance between you know two episodes in a month uh the the first episode this month which at the time we're recording this will be going out in a couple of days and which will have gone up two weeks ago when you're hearing this uh was with sarah gailey uh talking mm -hmm. about their new book which is extremely not cozy <laughs> uh but I, I, I was getting a lot of, um, getting a lot of, uh, P Patricia C. Reed's dealing with dragons out of this. Yeah, this was, this was an interesting story and it is, as you said, pretty on brand for me, hmm. um, at least on brand for the stories that I've sold so far, mm -hmm. because I've actually written some serious stuff that you wouldn't consider cozy. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to be the things that have sold um, since June of last year, that was my first sale, uh, short story sale, I mm -hmm. should, should say, um, 
they've all been like this cozy or quirky or silly in a way kind of mm-hmm. and 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 I'm like well I can write serious I know I can but maybe this is what we need right now or maybe this is what's just the the, the editors that I'm sending them to are are thinking maybe this is what we need right now mm-hmm. and I'm perfectly fine for this to be my brand if this is my brand because as much as I can write I've written some tense conflict you know you know moments Mm -hmm. in books and stories um but it's the quieter the quieter stories that i tend to gravitate toward and not just writing but reading as well so um this this sort of gentle more interpersonal conflict or um you know relationships between people that sort of thing so yeah that's just kind of where i'm going Uh, i'll still write serious stuff here and there but then that those are the things that aren't you know, really resonating, at least not the way I write them, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I should say. Um, because I had thought about actually reading another story of mine that hasn't gotten anywhere. Um, but I wasn't sure if it would be, it would be totally different than what's been been mm-hmm. um, sold, that I've sold. And it is a zombie story, actually. Oh, nice. And it, and it started as a friend... Um, I just made this comment on Facebook somewhere a while ago when my kids were much younger. And I was like, I don't need makeup or I don't have any makeup on. I don't need it for a zombie movie because they would just look at me and I would play the part. (laughs) And so a friend said something about being a zombie mom. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's something I'll keep in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. And then it took me years and then it came up again. I saw it in a Facebook memory and I was like, oh, maybe I should try writing a story about a zombie mom, Mm -hmm. but not a zombie mom, like a mom who in the middle of a horde of zombies kind of situation. Um, But I wrote it and then I started uh, subbing it out in like 2019 into 2019, early 2020. Mm -hmm. And then things started happening. (laughs) Then I was like, oh, well, my zombies started from a virus. This might not be pay playing very well yeah uh, and then there's and then i went around you know through the next couple of years I, w- I was reading various short stories because i'm loving i'm loving the genre i'm loving the you know the lengths of stories that people can write and, mm-hmm. and what they can do with with how few words or how many words they have and there is actually a zombie mom story <laughs> out there so i think it's the the badass zombie moms in the apocalypse or the badass moms in the zombie apocalypse i'll have to find it yeah we'll um, we'll have links in the show notes we'll, we'll have links but it, and it's a great story and i'm like well there's one out there now that's fine <laughs> mm-hmm. and also i started in a way that i'm like i don't know if i want this to be indicative of me as a writer but also mm. as a person because the very first thing that happens is the protagonist shoots her undead husband in the head mm-hmm. and then that's what precipitates everything else like and it's like oh well i mean that's central to the story but do i really want yeah that i know reading this and going how's your relationship going and <laughs> like, no I, i'm fine i love my husband that's not what you know no and he actually helped me a lot with the story because it was set in a hospital and I'd have to ask him what what do you, what would happen in a hospital if mm-hmm. you know if things shut down because of the zombie horde and then the the, the protagonist was a, a physician a doctor on maternity leave and then finds a 
person who's pregnant who was hiding out in the hospital who then needs to be delivered like all this stuff so mm -hmm. um my husband my spouse was very helpful with that but but then i was like eh, eh. it's not going anywhere right now i'll just save it for that's fair my blog or not even put it out there <laughs> mm -hmm. i was gonna say the the initial pitch sounded very much uh akin to a john wiswell story mm, yes yeah yeah i could see it very much being being one yeah because he's very much um looks at the the the, the monster's perspective of things sometimes mm -hmm. or, or finds a cozy way of entering into the 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 monster or the conflict sort of story and i really i really love his stories for that yeah and i think maybe he's been sort of a um well, I've told him this. He's he's been sort of an encouraging force for me to mm -hmm. go. Oh, people are wanting this right now, or at least a lot of people are responding to it. So why don't I just keep thinking and writing in this kind of cozy, quirky kind of way and see if anything comes up, up mm -hmm. out from it? And actually, one of the stories that I sold recently was was in put in the debut issue of a a magazine that is strictly cozy fantasy which i'd never heard of mm -hmm. until this magazine uh they announced that it was coming out earlier this year as, along with another magazine Wingraph is the one that my story is in and then tales t-a-l-e-s tales and feathers is mm -hmm. the next one and i think it's sister to auger um oh nice but it's it's coming out sometime later i think they're opening up for submissions actually in june so fantastic yeah. yeah uh i you know john is a i think john is one of those like really essential voices in the genre right now both from uh like the stories that he's telling and also just like his presence in the fandom um and like you know that's that's sort of something that I aspire to with this show as well of just like, you know, creating, creating these cozy spaces where we can, you know, we can talk about light things, we can talk about dark things, we can find the humanity and monsters, we can do all those things. But like, the, the core of it is like encouraging people to, you know, like, you, nobody else can tell your story. Right, right. And I, I often, I think part of it was often wonder, often wondering myself, well, what, what is my story? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I, and I do have a couple of stories that I have not shared with the world that I tried submitting and then decided, you know what, I think I'm just going to leave them, not sort of in the trunk, but just, just leave them for myself for a while because mm -hmm. they've been, they're, they're actually more personal, I think, than I would want um, people right now to, to read. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes you just have to make that judgment. And I, and I've made that for a couple of my stories. Um, and there, I, I, I like them still for what, for what they are, mm -hmm. but I think I'm a different person now, or at least a different writer and understanding what, how much of myself I want to put out there, um, in, you know, and how personal do I want to be? Mm -hmm. And maybe someday I'll write something that's very personal. Um, and maybe it will get it. A response and maybe not and that's fine too um the story in Windgraph is very is is pretty personal um because it has a mom and it has kids mm -hmm. and mom who 
um, chose to stay home to, to take care of her kids um, when she could have been off going into a mountain, raiding <laughs> the dragon's lair. I mean, sort of the same thing as the story. But um, instead, she, she chose to stay home with her daughters and then gets the opportunity. Uh, there, there's, there's more stuff happening in the mountains than they realized. And mm -hmm. somebody comes to her door and says, hey, we need you. And then it's the conflict of what do I do with my kids who are once sort of a teenager, but one's still very young. Like, what do I do? Do I, do I go? Well, the queen commands it. Like, I don't know. And it's, it goes from there. Mm -hmm. um, and the teenager plays a role in that too. So, you know, it's sort of me as the mom staying home because she chose to, you know, but I'm also the teenager in this because the teenager is the oldest and responsible one and wants to have her own ability to shine or whatever mm -hmm. um, all of those things so in a way it very much is is me um but told in a in a fantasy lens yeah um, i yeah. mean all all art is personal to some extent so like right you know we're 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 kidding ourselves if we think that we can separate ourselves from our art but like right you know the, it it's still a difference between like you know i i have a story that's like extremely personal that i've been unable to sell for i have a number of stories that are just like extremely personal that i've just been unable to sell for whatever reason and it's just like you know at, at some point i'm just like okay well maybe i won't sell this or you know won't sell it until like you know somebody asks me like hey do you have do you have anything like that you can sell me sort of thing. <laughs> but like, I'm also, you know, at, at the stage that I'm at in my career, I'm just like, okay, that's, that's fine. Like, I don't have to, you know, I, I enjoy writing the stories that I've written. I'm, I'm like very proud of them. And I'm also like, you know, I know that you've been through this same thing of like, writing short fiction writing in general is like hard and is it a is. lot of emotional work on the back end of like you know putting you're putting yourself out there over and over and over again to right. you know a, an unknown but probably at best apathetic response exactly exactly because it really does you're, you're it feels like you're putting your babies out there mm -hmm. and kind of showing them off to people. And at first I was very, at the very beginning when I started submitting, which short story wise, I think I started submitting about 2018. I wrote a couple of novels before then. And then 2018, mm -hmm. um, I, I went to fourth street fantasy and then I met a bunch of people that are on the aisle and then they mm -hmm. said, Hey, do you want to join us? And so that's kind of, and then meeting people who have done the short story, uh, track of, submitting, writing, submitting, writing, that sort of thing, rejection. Um, I'm like, I think maybe I want to try that. And so that's how I got started. And um, yeah, it. at first I was very much like, oh, this is cool. People are actually reading my work, even mm -hmm. though it's getting rejected. I'm at least knowing that somebody on the other end is reading it. Like I'm not just writing words and they're just sort of flying away, mm -hmm. you know, to... to, to you know, sprinkle rain over the fae, whatever. But but it's it's they are um, 
they're reading it and they might not respond to it except a hey this is not this doesn't work for us or, mm -hmm. or something like that and then every once in a while they would respond um and that would be like okay so somebody's actually looking at it mm -hmm. and then it was about around rejection 180 <laughs> thereabouts last year um i was like do i want to keep doing this <laughs> like mm -hmm. <laughs> um how how long do i want to keep putting myself out there and and just be told well we don't we don't want this thank you which you know everybody's polite it's not you know they're not rude it's rejections are rejections that's part of it mm -hmm. but i was getting very much to the point where i i i wanted to make a decision do i keep at it do i keep the writing or, or do i do something else yeah and um that was around the time when my first story that I sold <laughs> <laughs> so i was like oh okay well i mean somebody must like what i'm reading so or writing so there we go mm -hmm. um, and that one was a fairy tale mashup um that i did for our little uh weekend prompts oh yeah yeah um yeah so ruby's delivery um the mashup of uh, red riding hood and snow white which i didn't think would ever sell anywhere like i sent it to this place that i found on submission grinder because mm -hmm. that was it's like our i'm not going to say bible but it's like the place that you go to for mm -hmm. information on where you want to send your your work and uh i'd never heard of them page and spine fiction showcase and um i was like well it looks like they've been around for a while i'll just send it to them maybe they'll like it mm -hmm. and they did and they 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 printed, they posted it um, on their website. And I think actually now they're they're done. <laughs> I mm -hmm. think they've moved on. But um, regardless, it, it's out there. And yeah. and I was really happy about that because it was it was one of those stories where I thought some other stories of mine would sell way before that one because I wasn't sure if it had an audience, but mm -hmm. it, it did. Um, and then it went from there. And then the next one was to a magazine um, called a etheria e-t-h-e-r-a oh, yeah, yeah. out of australia and it they opened just last august so again fairly very new mm -hmm. and i sent them again one of my stories that is not even really a story and i thought oh this isn't i mean i sent it to it's a it's a flash so i sent it to all the flash places thinking mm -hmm. that well some of these flashes will places will take it and none of them did and so then um Etheria showed up on Submission Grinder, and I'm, I looked them up, and I'm like, well, I'll send it to them and see what happens. I mean, that's kind of what you do every time. Mm -hmm. And about a month later, I got the email. We love it. It's quirky. We want to... <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right. Well, maybe this is me. Like, maybe this is this is what I write. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, and I've had some success since then with, with that. So, I don't know. And, I mean, I'll keep writing what I write, and I'll keep thinking about you know, different subject matter and write different things. But this this is sort of where I guess I'm slotting myself into. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the I feel like the nice thing in short fiction is it is relatively quick to mm -hmm. turn things out. Uh, just like the cycle time is so much faster than with uh, anything longer. And, you know, you can, you always have the option of, like, the the people who are reading, unless you're, you know, selling multiple times to the same magazine, probably the people who are going to be 
stumbling on you for the first time don't have any expectations so you get to kind of like reinvent yourself every single time if you want to right and you can also just like you know write what you like and if it's selling then you know why why mess with something that works right right exactly speaking on the you know the timeline so before i started submitting short stories I did write a couple of novels and one of them, my second one, well, I've done NaNoWriMo since 2009. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine did it the year before. And then they were like, they posted about it somewhere. And I, I, I thought, you know what, maybe I should try this. I, I was never a writer before. I was a writer in that I wrote for school. Mm -hmm. I occasionally wrote poems for myself, you know, that sort of thing, but never thinking about well, I could do something with this. Mm -hmm. um, and then 2009 hit and, you know, you know, Rimo came around and I thought, well, I will try to write 50,000 words and see if I can do it. Uh -huh. And then the next year I formed a group of moms from my mom's group to say, hey, do you want to do this together? And so then we did it again. And then the third year I wrote another novel, a fantasy that year, the two before were science fiction. Mm -hmm. And um, the fantasy one I really liked and I thought, I think I'm going to do something with this. And so I self-published it. Nice. And that took a few years mm -hmm. um, because I wanted to, you know, I found an editor, find uh, somebody to help me with the cover. And then I'm also a mom. So like mm -hmm. that took a whole lot of my time in between. Um, and it's out there. It's called The Golden Orb. Um, it's a portal fantasy uh, with fairy tale, fairy tale elements. Mm -hmm. Um and then I don't know if it was around that time the next year, I think it was 2015, 16, something like that. I decided to start a new one in, in Nano. Nice. Um, maybe it was 2014. Who knows? Uh, time is fake. Know is it, time is fake. It takes me, but I found that if I decide to write a novel and I want to self-publish it, mm -hmm. it takes me about three years mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's it, there's a lot of time in between where I'm not doing anything with it, but it also like revising and, and, and editing, you know, finding mm -hmm. an editor all of that um so i started i think in 2014 and then published in 2017 um and that one was really serious and um i actually didn't publish right away mm -hmm. i had a great editor um she freelanced out of colorado so i never met her because we're in separate states <laughs> but a friend she was a friend of a friend and connected us mm -hmm. And so at first, um, around the time I was about ready to self-publish, Tor put out an open call. Oh, yep. Manuscript. Like, I think it was their last one. And I thought, well, I guess I'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. So I did the whole put it in a manila envelope with a self-addressed stamped envelope and sent it off and hope, hope they got it, hope yep. they were reading it. And I want to say six months to the day I sent it off, the rejection letter came in the mail. So that was my first experience of actually re sending something to mm -hmm. an outside, you know, hoping maybe somebody else will publish it sort of thing. And so the day I got the rejection, um, I, I told my editor and she's like, let's talk. We never call talk to each other on the phone before. Cause I was like, mm -hmm. what do I do? Do I keep, do I try to find an agent? Do I, do I just self publish again? And she, she got on the phone with me. She's like, publishing takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And by the time you find an agent, by the time you find somebody to publish this, it might be not the trend anymore. And I was dealing with 
a whole lot of stuff that, well, it was, I want to say, it's my angry novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is my angry novel. Um, you, you read it and you, you might not get that, but it is. Um, and she's like, just do it. Just put it out there. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Um, and it actually, I submitted it to a, an independent publishing contest. I don't know how legit it was, but mm-hmm. some friends said, do this because they, they had more experience and they're like, do this one. And it won the bronze for best oh, fantastic. sci-fi e- horror ebook. Um, and from like a whole bunch of, you know, selections. So I was like, okay, well, somebody likes it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I am the worst at promoting. <laughs> so my books, I have made more in the last, since June, I've probably made more on the sh- the flash and short stories I've sold in the past mm-hmm. since June than I ever made on both of my books combined, I think, which is saying a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just don't have the energy um, so and much the work. time to, to market myself in that, that aspect. So they're out there. And if people want to read them, that's fine. But I'm, I'm at the point where I'm like, I love them. They are my babies um, along with my other babies. Mm-hmm. But I, I've sort of moved on as well. Yeah, they've fledged, they've flown the nest. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're they're independent. They're doing their own thing. I have written a sequel to the Portal Fantasy that I started revising and then kind of stopped halfway through because, <laughs> again, we were, you know, this is between 2016 and 2020, so mm-hmm. 2020. So we're talking some years there where there was some darkness. And so it got kind of dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might go back to it. Um, and and then I also started a, a novel based on the, the short story in Wingraf, nice. um, uh based on one of those characters. Um, but it's only like halfway through. So I might work on that this nano. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, the hard thing and the nice thing about writing sometimes is like, oh, you can just like put pick things up, put things down. Uh, sometimes it's really helpful to put things down and pick them up later. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's really uh, difficult to pick them back up later. Right. But, right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm finding that with the the Portal Fantasy sequel, um, and that especially because I. I, I did a whole lot of prep work before that NaNoWriMo mm-hmm. and I did a whole outline. I reread the portal fantasy so that I had timelines and knew what had happened so I could remind myself. And I am such a pantser that uh-huh. that just like it helped, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really like, I just, I just need, give me a prompt, give me a picture, give me some words, give me a theme and let me just see where I can go from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but give me a whole outline and I, I just kind of shriek. <laughs> I mean, it worked. It worked. And I got a whole novel out of it and even some revision. But I, I think I need to make some serious changes before I decide that it's worth putting out there along with the rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that you do besides writing is uh, you're a cosplayer. And I wondered, wondered if you could oh, talk yeah. a little bit about um some of the crossover there and because it's like cosplay is uh like such a such an intense creative endeavor sometimes yes it can be and i call myself 
a hobby cosplayer. I don't know if that's a term, but I just think of myself as one because mm -hmm. I don't like I I'm not I don't have a theater background um, or per se, um, and so I don't like feel like I can do like poses and things. I can do some poses, but I can't do. I don't feel like I can go up to somebody and use the voice and be like, ah, oh, I'm this mm -hmm. person. Um, just get it from the the look is what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, um, there really is a lot of cr crossover because I feel like I'm taking many times the cosplay is, is somebody else's, it's kind of almost like writing in an IP, I think mm -hmm. is what, you know, you're, what you're going for or fan fiction. Like this is my version of this character. And so, um, there is a lot of crossover in creating the look and creating how much of it do I want to do myself? Mm -hmm. How much do I want to just go to a thrift store and buy pieces to add to it so I don't have to do it myself? And, and how much of it is improvisation? Mm -hmm. You know, I can make this look as close to the thing as, as I can, but I don't have the costume designer's idea if it's a live action uh character mm -hmm. I, I i don't you know sometimes you can there's some great you know movies and shows out there where they really go behind the scenes and you you know down to what kinds of fabrics they chose or you mm -hmm. know what was the costume designer's idea for something and those are great um but i like the idea of being able to improvise a little bit too within that and use my skill because i'm not a, a professional sewist mm -hmm. so I did take lessons. Um, in fact, it's funny. It was around, I think it was 2009. So the same year that I did my first NaNoWriMo in November, mm -hmm. that December, my husband bought me a sewing machine. And I had never, I don't think I ever had any inclination for it before. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why, why did, and he, I think he thought that I'd said something about making the kids Halloween costumes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. And then my mother-in-law had found somebody in town a nurse who also was a, a seamstress who gave sewing lessons. And so for a year I took sewing lessons and then I went off and, and went off on my own and I'm more self-taught from there. That's awesome. Um, and it's, it's been a lovely way of breaking up my time between, you know, putting down writing and going, you know, sometimes I can do both. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can do neither. It depends on my mood and where I'm at. Um, I'm in the middle of working on, my very first drafting of a pattern oh, nice. uh, from scratch. Um, I've never, you know, it's been, I've been doing this, I don't know, 11, 12 years now, I guess, mm -hmm. but I've always used store-bought patterns and then modified them to fit what I needed. Mm -hmm. um, or again, thrift store finds or whatever, and then maybe modify those as needed. So this is my first time trying out the, the sewing pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, making it from scratch and uh it's been an experience and i'm kind i think i've intimidated myself so <laughs> i've sort of put it off for a little bit and kind of writing some things and then i'll get back to it i i need to organize my craft room too because it's a mess mm -hmm. um so i feel like if i can organ reorganize my space and and then i can feel like i can get back to it so um but i will it's it's a moraine's dress blue dress from game of thrones oh very cool um is what i'm trying to do so we'll see and it's you know it, it's not going to be screen accurate i try i've tried a few times in the past to be screen accurate mm -hmm. and i've decided sometimes it's just worth it to improvise as much as i can and make the look as close as i can i think 
my Elsa from Frozen was definitely improvised because they didn't even have a pattern for mm -hmm. it before when I was making it. In fact, the pattern came out just as I was finishing it up. <laughs> so I got a pattern for the cape and that was it. Nice. Um, uh, and my, let's see, the closest I think I've come to screen accurate was my Regina from Once Upon a Time. Oh, uh-huh. That was a really good um, one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and that took some serious modifying on the pattern. It really did uh, that I bought, the pattern that I bought. Because they did have some sort of patterns that looked like the costumes. Mm -hmm. And then my friend who I, I sort of... I don't know if I sort of dragged her into sewing and cosplaying with me. But she just sort of joined me. She was like, she heard that I wanted to do this. And then I, I found the pattern and I showed her. And I think this was like Christmas time and we were wanting to do it for Gen Con or something. Mm -hmm. And I showed her the pattern and she's like, can I be Snow White? Or, or she's like, I would love to do this. And so we did it together. And we even found the fabric that they used for Snow White's costume. That's awesome. Somewhere. So we... For hers, we got as screen accurate as we could. For mine, it's as close as I could get it, and that's fine. It, I think I found the the latches on the jacket were mm -hmm. pretty close. Um, but that was fun. Yeah. And it's fun to just dress up and pretend and be somebody else. For, Absolutely. For, a, for however long I feel like it. Some of them I can wear all day at a con, but mm -hmm. I've found over the years that I tend to go towards things with long sleeves, and then I'm wearing them at Gen Con in August in Indiana. Oh, yeah. Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> like Crowley, I love my Crowley. It is the most comfortable costume I've ever made. Mm -hmm. And then I wear it to Gen Con in August. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, uh, he's not a uh, August Midwestern sun sort of person. No, he's my, he's my goth black aesthetic. And uh, that's as close as goth as I'm ever going to probably be. Although <laughs> inside me, I'm sure there is a goth just waiting to come out. And I love him dearly, and I love the costume dearly. But yes, it's it it can be it can be hot mm -hmm. uh, depending on when I decide to wear it. So yeah. Uh, well, speaking of of uh, David Tennant, mm. uh, I just heard this weird sound on this blue police box uh, landed in the podcasting studio and. I'm wondering if we can take a step into this time machine and go back and if there's any advice that you'd like to offer to young writer Amanda and by proxy to any of our listeners. Well, I would say for young writer Amanda, because actually I was very, very young or a teenager when I actually first wrote something for myself and mm -hmm. it would have been considered fanfic before there was an internet, before there was ever fanfic. Um, and then I put it away because I was embarrassed by it. Um, but I would say you are okay. You are not alone. There are people who do this and they love it. Mm -hmm. um, and you just need to find them. And you need to find, you You will find your community eventually. Mm -hmm. Be patient. You will find the people who enjoy this as much as you do and who understand who understand what you're, you're trying to do um, uh, what, what you're trying to share of yourself with the world. Um, and they will, they will help you out, you mm -hmm. know, and you can help them out. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful community to be a part of. Um, and also to be patient. Mm -hmm. Just, just, you know, we want it right now. And it's, it's no, just, just be patient. It, yeah. It'll come. You know, I had to tell myself that at 180 rejections and mm -hmm. I just, 
logged my 251st this morning. Um, and that's with like 40 pieces, short stories, flash poems. Cause I'm trying to do some poetry too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it still hurts. <laughs> it still hurts. And some of them, some of it really stings still, mm-hmm. um, but you just write and you move on and just be patient. So yeah, community and patience, I think are the key. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, absolutely. Both of those. And like, and uh, especially to your point about patience, like you, nobody knows how long it will take. Nobody, anybody who claims they can tell you how long it's going to take is either lying or trying to sell something or both. Right. Right. Yes. And it's, and it's luck is, is about as much to do with it as talent mm-hmm. or you know whatever like you can you can do all of the craft workshops and believe me i've done you know i've gone to conferences and i do i still take some classes and and uh and workshops and still working on my writing and craft and it can take all of that and talent and you still hit 251 rejections i mean it's mm-hmm. it's it's as much luck and and kind of hitting the editor at the right time, the right day, like their right mood, mm-hmm. and um, for for it to 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 find where it needs to be. So yeah, and yeah. even even on the community side, like in some ways, you know, we're in sort of a golden age of being able to find communities because, like, mm, yes. a lot of I'm thinking a lot of creators, you know we had the good fortune to both know people who got us into uh, Slack together where it was just, you know, a bunch of writers. Uh, But, like, there are so many creators out there who, you know, you might vibe with them and they have a Discord or something uh, as, like, a Patreon tier reward or something like that where, Uh you know, maybe you find a group of people you gel with there, maybe you don't. But, like... You know, it's, uh, to, to, uh, echo our tagline, like, you don't self-reject. You, you have to keep going for it and see what works and not everything's going to work, but you don't know until you try. Right. Exactly. And that's, you know, it's that saying, you know, I don't even, I can't off the top of my head, but basically you lose the hundred percent of the opportunities that you don't take basically Mm -hmm. is what the line is. You know, you just, it's, it's, that's always been in the back of my head. Well, I can sit on it or I can just put it out there. And at least I tried Mm -hmm. and, and feel like that's, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we start wrapping up, uh, I know we've, mentioned a bunch of uh stories that you have out there now and things that are upcoming is there anything else that you're super excited to uh get people to uh find of yours that's coming out in the near future yes actually um i have permission uh, uh so Hooray. i i have uh right now i have two stories with etheria mm-hmm. i aiden's been amazing aiden wilson is the editor and he's enjoyed two of my stories and he has accepted a third. And Fabulous. so it will be coming out in July in Etheria magazine. I, I, sorry, I don't know the issue number, but it will be July's issue. 
Um, and then I'm just promoting Windgraph um, and my story weaving Serenity in there because it's the longest story mm-hmm. that I've I've sold so far. Most of the most of my sales have been Flash, mm-hmm. um, and weaving Serenity came in about for almost five thousand words, I think. For I don't remember forty eight hundred, I think. Nice. So it's it's the longest story I've sold. The one coming out in July is also a longer short story. So I'm really excited about that one too. Um, and Windgraph is a great, uh, great magazine. I yeah. felt like um, reading it. And they, they, they also post Flash on their website every Friday. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a story there too, which links to my story in the, the first issue. So Fabulous. Um, on, on the website. And I think that's it. I have a couple of things in contests right now that I'm waiting to hear about. Um, so there might be other things out before this airs. Crossing our um, fingers and toes. And, there may and maybe not, you know, you yeah. never know. So I was surprised in January when I when I wrote a story for Apparition Lit Literary Magazine's monthly flash fiction and it won there that month. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I guess I can do contests too. Well let's try it. So <laughs> so yeah. Um and they keep shrinking. One of them is a microfiction for just 250 words and it was a challenge i was like i'm going to challenge myself to see if i can write something in 250 words Mm -hmm. so we'll see we'll see what happens but uh yeah um that's i think that's what i have for now yeah excellent and links to all those of course will be in the show notes Mm -hmm. uh in addition to stuff that you've got coming out is there anything uh media wise that you've been consuming recently that you're really excited to tell people about Oh, well, let's see. Um, I will wave the Our Flag Means Death banner <laughs> everywhere, even as a straightish uh-huh. cis, cis woman. I, I love that show. I've watched it twice. I will probably do another rewatch. I am so ready for HBO Max to put a second season out or for them to actually say that they will mm-hmm. renew it. So um, not just because of all the queer themes and just the beauty of the, you know, all of the characters, but um, the fact that all the characters are different and one of them has a speech difference. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a, a kid who had a speech difference that needed speech therapy. And it's just a part of the show. Like nobody says anything about it. It doesn't make him any different than anybody else. It's just him. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I, but I also love all of the, the representation in all of the other areas, queer, racial you know all of that mm-hmm. so um it's an amazing show i will <laughs> i will show it i will tell everybody about it um my husband and i just finished the new season of the new kids in the hall mm-hmm. um, and that is weird and uh way more i think quirky than <laughs> i remember it being and they can get away with much more being on amazon prime mm-hmm. so there, there should be lots of warnings ahead of time for things but um i it was great to see see these guys on screen again um and doing their thing because i really enjoyed them growing up um That's and then reading wise i don't i i try i'm trying to really read novels as much as i can and it can be difficult like mm-hmm. i've really been honed in on short stories a lot the last few years but i'm trying to pick up novels and i am in um aj hackwith's third book of her hell's library series oh, yeah. uh the god of lost words i just had finished previous the the archive of the unknown because i was like this is the next thing i need to do because i've written i've read 
the library of the unwritten mm-hmm. long time ago and i was like well i need to finish the series and as soon as i read the second i'm like okay i need to get to the third and it is amazing mm-hmm. uh, aj's prose is amazing and it hits me on like all levels about stories and and everything um so that one has been a real fun fantastic read and then um maurice brought us i i received an arc for his sweep of stars before mm-hmm. it came out and i read that and uh he pitched it he pitched it for a while as the black as black panther meets the expanse mm-hmm. and, and it is that and so much more and it is an amazing an amazing book and so i highly recommend that one as well that's um, awesome for anybody who likes both black panther expanse but also just it, it says a lot about community and and how we can what we can do as as humanity as a people mm-hmm. um, if if we if we work as a community so yeah nice. that one's that one i will definitely recommend so yeah that's i th- think that's where i'm at i'm not sure what we're gonna start next media wise <laughs> it's so. <laughs> it's so hard to figure out like right even right, when yes. you have a you know mile high tbr spa- stack it's like well okay but that's, that's a million different things in here yes yes now i'm i'm constantly watching streams and i think the next star wars one is out already and i'm oh, like yep. am I, okay am i ready for that well we'll see <laughs> yeah 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 well fantastic amanda thank you so much for coming on the show where can our listeners find you online uh, you can find me normally. Um, my Twitter is at Amanda Cook six two seven, all one word, mm-hmm. and I think that's my handle for my Instagram and my Facebook too. And I'm occasionally at both. My Instagram is, you'll see my cosplay more on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, although I, I try to cross post on Twitter occasionally. Um, and my and then I do have a blog which started out as my landing page for my books. Mm-hmm. So it's acooksbooks.com, all one word, no hashtags or anything, um, and, or underscores, I mean. And then, uh, yeah, and that's where I post, uh, I talk about, you know, writing. Mm-hmm. I will post so, uh, short stories occasionally if I decide I want to put them there. Uh, a lot of poetry. I've got some, a lot of my poems on there. Yeah. And then the occasional blog post about, you know, <laughs> if I got a release of a story or just something that I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not on there as much as I used to be, but um, I try every once in a while. To, That's a mood. To, to, to remember that I've got it. And it's like, oh, this is a place I can be. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Hillary. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Listeners, stick around next month when our guests will be Ruthana Emrys and Miri Baker. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBizniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.